0: Welcome back to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators shaping the future of health. I'm Logan Plaster. Before we get into this week's episode, just a word about Startup Health's Moonshot Impact Fund. For accredited investors, this fund makes it easy to gain exposure to a diversified portfolio of private health innovation companies. You can find all the details as well as sign up for an upcoming informational webinar at healthmoonshots.com. Now on to today's show. The idea of health system workflow sounds a bit obtuse, like under the hood administrative territory. However, we've all experienced the frustration of having to wait for an appointment because a clinic was overbooked or an x-ray lab was backed up. Inefficiencies in healthcare cost time and money and frustration all over healthcare. But in oncology, dealing with cancer patients, the workflows are much more complex and the stakes are even higher. That is why my guest today, Andre Diamant, co-founded Gray Oncology Solutions, which joined Startup Health this year. Andre and his co-founder are building what they call an operating system for health, one that uses machine learning to line up and map out healthcare resources so patients know what to expect and they get the care they need on time. This interview is excerpted from our Health Moonshot Update series, which appears on YouTube, so you can watch the whole thing at youtube.com slash Now, on to the interview. Andre, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure.
0: So um, I want to just start by putting it on the table exactly what you're building so that we can spend our time kind of unpacking uh, the product, the platform, and the problem you're addressing. So what is Gray? What did you build?
1: So... We're a healthcare software startup based in Montreal up in Canada, and we're addressing the logistical inefficiencies all across the oncology workflow. And and what this translates to in terms of an actual product is a platform we call GrayOS. We sort of think of this as the operating system for a cancer center, and it automates and optimizes the patient scheduling process across the various silos of, of a patient's cancer treatment. So chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and soon surgery
0: you said logistical inefficiencies. Paint me a picture of what some of those efficiencies look like. I'm sure people who are viewing this may never have been stuck in that quagmire of the hospital workflow. Right. So
1: so oncology treatment, uh, of course, is very complex. There's a number of reasons for that. Um, There's a lot of variation in each patient. So it's not like every patient is going to take 20 minutes. It's not one size fits all. Similarly, every patient may require multiple appointments. In a dentist's appointment, you kind of go to a single appointment once every six months. While in cancer, you might require three appointments or you might require 30 appointments. And each of these appointments has varying needs in terms of resources. They have varying needs of where they need to fit on the schedule in comparison to other treatments. So let's say you have chemo and surgery at the same time. Maybe you need surgery prior to the chemotherapy, et cetera. And what what this amounts to is a schedule that has many, many dimensions And many, many permutations of possible areas that the patients could fit into the schedule. And the number of permutations has so many zeros that it's impossible for a human to to actually do this in an optimal fashion without tearing their hair out every day. So it's sort of, we think of it, it, you're kind of playing a very, very complicated multidimensional game of Tetris at all times. Mm. Um, and, And that's just an area that mathematics and artificial intelligence can really help out with.
0: Is that why we haven't had this uh, addressed in the, in the past? Because we, we've tried to be too manual about it and you're bringing this, this AI element to it? So, so there's a number of hurdles that
1: that ha- have held us back in the past, certainly now as well. I mean, these are hurdles that we face every day. Um, the, the level of mathematics required and operations research is certainly one of them. There's also interoperability and making sure that all of the data in a center can actually be used together. To, to make a platform such as this and facilitate it. And uh, it's really been over the past decade or so that this has started to accelerate where you, you're seeing data more and more consolidated and the ability to actually build something like this is, is becoming more possible, which certainly wasn't the case 15 years ago. And, and there is still work to be done in that
0: area. I'm sure that's why, that's why you're doing the work here. When did you launch uh, Gray Oncology Solutions?
1: So uh, we really began operations uh, about a year and a half ago. So it was about January, 2020, right before COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was when we really dug our feet into this idea of patient scheduling and really dealing with this game of Tetris and how can we increase efficiency of these centers, reduce patient wait times, um, and all the other clinical sort of benefits that come from that. Uh, COVID obviously hit right a few months after we really dug into this idea um, initially, we were kind of terrified. Uh, COVID obviously shut down bigger companies than ours. We figured, hey, this is gonna this is gonna shut our doors. But instead, th- we we found that the conversations that we were having with hospitals accelerated, and they sort of pulled us closer rather than pushing us away. And, and that really just reaffirmed the idea that, hey, this is a problem that needs to be solved, especially in the face of the pandemic
0: besides the idea that there just is a problem that needs to be solved, what do you attribute to the fact that they really turned to you in that, in that moment? Cause like you said, there were companies that shut down, there were um, clients that stopped returning phone calls.
1: So one of the big areas, uh, especially in Quebec that the province that that we're from that was happening. And I've seen this happen all across the world, certainly in America as well, uh, was the concept of, of screenings for cancer were being stopped. And, When the screening stops, that doesn't mean the cancer is stopping. Um, And you saw a lot of physician concern, especially in Quebec and I'm sure elsewhere, where they were worried about what the influx of patients with cancer who weren't being diagnosed was going to look like. So at that point, obviously, we were optimistic back in March of 2020, where we thought, hey, maybe in two months, we'll be back to normal. That wasn't the case. But they were wondering in August, are we going to have a sudden wave of stage three, stage four breast cancer patients. Mm -hmm. And what are we going to do about it? How are we going to handle this backlog? Um, And they had that sort of at the forefront of their mind. So then the conversations we were having with them very quickly slanted in that direction. And that was actually kind of one of the first modules of this operating system that we built was a simulator specifically to evaluate this impact that this backlog would have. And then subsequently, how can we address it?
0: Got it. You know, I think when a lot of people hear uh, about inefficiencies in the logistics of a health system and uh, workflow backups, they think about this in terms of, you know, frustrations and um, uh, inconveniences. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about sort of the real life and death and health uh, issues that arise from inefficiencies in this kind of system.
1: So there's a a handful of issues, both on the provider side and on the patient side, Uh, on the most important patient side um, often delays cause just a significant amount of anxiety and anxiety uh, is tied directly to clinical outcomes. Um, It's very difficult to get better, especially with something as severe as cancer when you're, you're already incredibly stressed. You don't need more stress. And patients are often in the dark about when, when are their appointments? Are they going to be delayed? How long are they going to be delayed? Very often you'll see full waiting rooms um, where you know you have an appointment scheduled at two and it turns out that hey maybe it's at 2 30 who really knows when it is yeah. and that's just a level of, of stress that we don't need to be putting cancer patients under on the provider side the the capital that's being used to treat a cancer patient is very expensive it's expensive resources you need highly trained professionals expensive equipment and really every every 10 minutes that that equipment isn't being used is could be better spent we, we could be treating a patient. There are cancer patients out there who need the treatment. Mm-hmm. And a, at least a part of that is the fact that we can be assigning these resources to patients in a more efficient way.
0: Yeah, uh, this is probably an, an inadequate metaphor, but it makes me think about the way that uh, Uber and Lyft changed the way that we thought about waiting for a cab. If you know that it's five blocks away, uh, and you can see it tracking towards you. you. Your heart rate goes down and you're like, okay, I'm going to get picked up today. Things are under control. Just like that knowledge of kind of how the system is moving and where your place is in the middle of it. Obviously, exactly. It's a, and
1: yeah. it is, it's a stretch of a metaphor, but it does apply. And in some ways it's an apt comparison because we are intending to do something similar eventually. That hasn't been developed yet. But the, okay. this idea of being able to show you what is the traffic like in the clinic at that given day if if you have your appointment booked at 2 p.m and we already know by noon that you're going to be backed up we're backed up whatever a nurse had to go home a machine broke down who knows we can tell you that right away so you can sort of see and have the peace of mind that yes your treatment will be delayed about 30 minutes but you can stay at home you can stay at work you can go for a walk whatever you don't have to go sit in a waiting room staring at a wall and hoping your name is called um so, so that's an area that we're looking to get into. We haven't yet, but it's it's a big part of the vision of
0: ultimately what we want to bring to, to sort of the healthcare ecosystem. Uh, you said that hospital systems, instead of stopping returning your calls, kind of drew you closer. Talk to me about kind of where your traction is now, kind of what you're excited about for the summer and the fall of 2021. Right. So this was
1: mostly uh, in Canada. Uh, initially all of our conversations were in Canada, of course, coming from Canada and Quebec. Um, the majority of the connections we had and the folks that we knew in hospitals, um, were within the city of Montreal. So that's where our, our initial hospital centers have been. Um, we're currently deployed in one center there, deploying in a second and then have a third on the way and hopefully a fourth out in on in Ontario, sort of as we start to break out of Quebec. Um, in terms of the, the coming year especially we're we're really looking to break into other provinces in the states as well in terms of securing a, a pilot that that is concerned about these same operational efficiency issues and wants to work with us to really provide this platform and, and be on the cutting edge of how we can use operations research and AI to improve patient care. That's
0: great. Uh, it's my understanding that through startup health, you met the folks behind uh, a company called care team, a patient engagement uh, software company. I think they're in British Columbia. Um, and I wonder if you could speak to, you don't have to sort of, uh, you know, go into that um relationship or you know if, even if there is one but just I wonder if you could speak to the importance of um, just just collaboration between health innovation companies given the complexity of the system sharing knowledge and just uh, taking this this understanding that look we need to do this together none of us are sort of big, big enough or smart enough to do the whole thing.
1: Absolutely so so that is sort of a nice segue from our previous uh, the previous metaphor you gave about uber and then the description i gave about this this idea of putting this operational information directly into the patient's hand. Uh care team has a great patient engagement platform there are many other companies with great patient engagement platforms and frankly the last thing the last thing patients need is yet another app. So relationships such as with care team or with other patient engagement platforms can be tremendously efficient really in terms of getting this value into the patient's hands. So in essence, we have this operational tool and we can transmit that information to a patient engagement platform that maybe their patients are already using. And then it's kind of just a win-win for everybody. It's easy for the patient. They don't have to install another app, but they're getting that extra information that we can provide. So building a patient engagement platform is incredibly expensive as well. So it just doesn't make sense for us to, uh, put a ton of capital, a ton of time and energy into building this when something already exists out there and we collaboration
0: can accelerate that process. Got it. So the gray operating system layers over patient engagement software. It layers over uh, an EHR like an Epic or a Cerner, right? Exactly.
1: And the EHR uh, point is is a very good one where we aren't an EHR. We're not intending to be an EHR and we're not intending ever to be an EHR. We explicitly layer over it. I think of the EHR as a hard drive and we're the operating system. We're managing resources with that hard drive, but we're not actually storing the data. Got
0: it. You know, just to shift gears for a minute here, um, I believe you came straight out of grad school, started this company. Is This is your first company, correct? This
1: is, yes, and there actually okay. was a bit of an overlap uh, <laughs> between ending grad school and starting the company, which I would not yeah. recommend. So if and... I take a second PhD and start a second company, <laughs> I'll make sure to spread them out.
0: A little bit of a gap, plus you have small children at home, uh, I know a new baby uh, there at the house. And so I just, I wonder if you could speak to the experience of, of being a new CEO. Um, what surprised you about that experience? Um, I'm sure COVID kind of shaped that in some way, but has it been what you expected? Um, maybe tell me what you've learned in the last year of, of starting a business.
1: I. I think, I think one of the biggest ones was I probably underestimated just how much emotional bandwidth it takes up at all times. And mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean, in the sense of it's not the sort of thing to 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 take it to the other extreme. It's not the type of thing that you can come home at four or five yeah. and it's cut off. And you know, you go into work the next day. You start thinking about work. You come home. You're not thinking about work. It's really just always on your mind. Very similar to a child. So, so in that sense, I could have had three children, um, and and they all kind of competing for space in the head. uh, And hopefully, I'm doing a good job at it. (laughs) Are are there ways?
0: I know. You know, I have two children, and so there's days when you do better than other days. I mean, are there are there strategies that you found to help you that could be um, instructive to another CEO in a similar position?
1: I, I think, um, yeah, a few. Maybe, maybe first is the concept of taking things at a, day, a day at a time. Don't try to think too far ahead. It's, it's just going to overwhelm you. Um, second, I do always try to explicitly make time for, for the actual family. Mm. Uh, no disrespect to the company as a child, but it's not a real child. Um, so making sure to have some protected time, especially on weekends where, where I am just spending it with them. Um, and then finally, routine. Even even before children, I've always been someone who's very, very focused on routine, and it really helps me get through the day. Um, and, and I was just thinking back as how now my wife and I and my children, we have a very specific routine. It's like in terms of when I'm dropping the older one off at daycare, when I'm doing this, when I'm doing that, when I'm preparing dinner, it's always kind of the same. Mm. <laughs> and obviously, you know, that plans sometimes change, but at least having sort of this equilibrium state I find really helps me.
0: You're trying. You're reducing your decision load, kind of like exactly the way that's, Steve that's, Jobs would always wear the same thing to work. Right.
1: <laughs> that's probably the literal, the the literal way of putting it. If you were to speak to a, a professional in these matters. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, awesome. Well, I, that's about the time that we have. Uh, last question is, um, what's an ideal partner? Um, who are you looking to collaborate with? Big, small, Canada, U.S., global. Um, who would you like to partner with?
1: So definitely on the American side, um, because of of course the ecosystem there is very, very different and very, very similar at the same time. It's still similar machines that are treating similar patients. We're all human after all. Um, but of course, I have to acknowledge just how different the healthcare system is there in terms of the provider-payer relationship, et cetera. Um, so that's an area that we we're really looking to, to validate, both in terms of clinical impact, but also of operational impact directly to the healthcare providers. So, so that ideal partner really is a a relatively large, when I say relatively large, I mean not necessarily a single radiation therapy bunker, but rather a healthcare system, something like a hospital that has chemotherapy units, so an infusion center, radiation therapy machines, and surgery. And the fact that there are multiple patients who will be treated at all three of those kind of as a one-stop shop rather than bouncing around multiple centers. Of course, we have a strong academic background um, coming. All of us come from PhDs, and then we have a handful of founding advisors from, from universities across Quebec. And because of that, a university-affiliated center is a draw to us, one that is interested in, in not just evaluating this from a purely operational and commercial standpoint, but also evaluating this from, from a research perspective and and looking into how this is affecting survival outcomes and and... Similar metrics like that, which which
0: really require academic expertise as well. That makes sense. I lied. This is the actual the actual last question. No problem. No problem. uh, Which is um, you're focusing in on oncology. You know, you said before that cancer is a uniquely complicated workflow, uh, and so it needs it needs this added level of intelligence. But I can't help but think about a whole health system. Uh, you know, a health system might have, you know, 25 hospitals, 500 points of care, and the need for an incredibly intelligent system guiding it all. So when you think out longer term, you think, you know, kind of more health moonshot sort of vision. um, Is that where you think the, well, I guess, question number one is that is that where you want gray to go more broadly? um, Or do you see the healthcare system going that direction? Are you optimistic that we're sort of moving in that direction?
1: Certainly. I'm, I, I am optimistic that we are moving that direction. And, and absolutely, in terms of where Gray is going, breaking out of oncology as well, sort of vertically within a hospital. And looking at this as an operating system, not just for a cancer center, but for healthcare itself. And the, the, the idea of we think of, okay, cancer treatment is complicated. And that's why we started there. And it is. But a patient's trajectory of their health itself is also very complicated. And that is an area that if you start really breaking down the walls across the various treatments that they might be receiving for any ailment they have, you can really start to have this holistic view and optimize each piece together. And and then, I mean, the sky is the limit. When you talk, you mentioned multiple hospitals within one health network. The idea of having one sort of larger body that This, of course, in Canada with socialized healthcare would mean a province that is able to look at all of its different resources across various sites or cities and determine, okay, maybe the hospital on the island is being really flooded right now in terms of um, just how many patients are there. We can relocate some of the patients over to this other center. And you can start bringing geography into the picture of, oh, great. I mean, this patient lives right beside this hospital anyway. Why are they going all the way over there when we can move them here? And, and there's just a whole lot of efficiency gains and, and gains for the patient as well in terms of their satisfaction and just their quality of life that you can really start to bring in to healthcare once, once you start looking at this whole ecosystem as kind of one big piece as opposed to individual silos.
0: And listening to you, it just makes me think of the just in time logistics that we seem to have mastered in like delivery, like Amazon, yep. uh, you know, getting the right place, you know, the right product, the right place at the right time. And yet uh, we have this big gap in healthcare and we, we can't seem to optimize the resources. So th- th- there's a vision for the future there.
1: There is. And there's a, there's a handful of very good reasons as to why healthcare isn't there yet. Yeah. I don't think it's unachievable. Obviously, otherwise we wouldn't be doing this. Yeah. But um, I mean, just that the most obvious ones are our one data, which we already touched on. Um, data security is paramount, and it, it's obviously a challenge in itself to to overcome those hurdles. And how can we how can we bring this efficiency into the world while still respecting patients' privacy? And then second, just the unpredictability of patients. Uh, packages are are a whole lot easier to yeah. to when you understand how traffic is going to operate to know that it'll take 22 and a half minutes to drive from here to there that sort of thing yeah. while patients are much much more complicated but yeah. that doesn't mean it's not achievable
0: yeah it's awesome andre thank you for taking the time with me today uh, i love what you're building it's really a great vision for the future and I also love that you're so steeped in the research, you, know, you and your partner, both coming out of PhDs, really caring about proving out what you're building and that it's useful to, to hospitals and to patients. So uh, thanks for all the work you're putting in and for taking the time with me today.
1: Thank you very much. It's a lot of All fun.
0: right. Be well. You too. Bye.